0: order, questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Peter Boone. Question one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I know that the whole House will wish to join me in remembering all those who lost their lives and were affected by the Aberfan disaster 50 years ago this week. It claimed the lives of 144 people, the vast majority of them children. It caused devastation to the local community. It's right that we pause and reflect on this important anniversary and recognise the solidarity and resilience of the people of Abavan to overcome this powerful tragedy. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and I will have further such meetings later today, in addition to my duties in this House.
0: Mr. Peter Bone.
2: Mr. Speaker, can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister? I have of an age that I remember those terrible black and white photographs, of film, and it really affected everyone. And we, in this House, pass on our thoughts to the people today. Mr. Speaker, as you might know, it's my birthday today. <laughs> The Prime Minister has already given me a huge birthday present uh, by letting everyone know that we will be out of the European Union no later than the 31st of March 2019. So could I press her for another present? Um, her excellent policy, her excellent policy of closing Victorian prisons and opening them re- and opening modern ones, is a spot-on policy. Would she support? The reopening of Wellingborough Prison uh, as part of this excellent programme, or would you rather just sing Happy Birthday? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Prime Minister. I say to my honourable friend, I'm very happy to wish him a very happy birthday today. Many happy returns. I hope that Mrs Bone is going to treat the occasion in an appropriate manner. And. Uh, <laughs> Can I? Uh... Can I? I,
0: uh, I order? I want to hear what's coming next,
1: <laughs> Prime Minister. <laughs> Calm down, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Uh, On the the issue that he raises, on the issue he raises, the very serious issue he raises about prisons, uh, uh, I welcome the fact that he uh, uh, applauds the policy that we're uh, following of closing out-of-date prisons and of building new prisons. I hear the lobbying he has made in relation to Wellingborough. I can assure him that Wellingborough is one of those sites that is being considered, uh, but the Secretary of State will be looking at this very carefully and making an announcement in due course. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr.
3: Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join with the Prime Minister in commemorating the disaster of Aberfan all those years ago when 118 children died along with many adults at that time. Many in that community are still living with that tragedy and they will live with that tragedy for the rest of their days. I remember it very well as a young person growing up at that time and watching collections for the disaster fund. I think the BBC documentary presented by Hugh Edwards last night was absolutely brilliant and poignant and serves to remind us all of what that disaster was about. Uh, Mr Speaker, one in four of us will suffer a mental health problem. Analysis by the King's Fund suggests that 40% of our mental health trusts had their budgets cut last year. Six trusts have seen their budgets cut for three years in a row. Is the Prime Minister really confident that we are delivering parity of esteem for mental health?
1: Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I, can I first of all say to the right honourable gentleman that like him I'm, and uh, my honourable friend, the member of Wellingborough, and I, I'm of an age where I can remember those terrible scenes on television of what happened in Aberfan. I didn't see the whole of Hugh Edwards' documentary, but the bits that I did happen to see last night I thought were very poignant, as the Right Honourable Gentleman said. And interestingly, actually, uh, what it showed again was that issue of those in power uh, not being willing to step up to the plate initially and accept what uh, had actually happened. But obviously, the result of the inquiry was very clear about where responsibility lay. Um, in relation to the men- mental health services, it is right that we are uh, uh, introducing parity of esteem for mental health in our National Health Service. This has, uh, we've been waiting too long for this. It's uh, important that it is, is being done. But we are actually investing more in mental health services, an estimated record $11.7 billion, And particularly, we're increasing the overall number of children's beds to the highest number of uh, children's beds in relation to mental health problems. I think this is important. There is of course more for us to do in looking at mental health but we have made an important start and that funding is uh, going to be there as I say. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I
3: had a letter from Colin. A family member of his has a chronic mental health condition and he, like many others who have got relatives going through a mental health crisis, says this, the NHS is so dramatically underfunded that too often it's left to the underfunded police forces to deal with the consequence of this crisis. Indeed, the Chief Constable of Devon and Cornwall has this month threatened legal action against the NHS because he's forced to hold people with mental conditions in police cells because there aren't enough NHS beds. I simply ask the Prime Minister uh, this, if the government is truly committed to parity of esteem, Why is this trust, and so many others, facing an acute financial crisis at the present time?
0: Prime Minister?
1: Can I first of all say to Colin that I think we all in this House recognise the difficulty uh, uh, that people have when they are coping with mental health problems? And can I commend those in this House who have been prepared to stand up and refer to their own mental health problems. I think that's been a very important signal to people with mental health issues across the country. Uh, He raises the whole question of the interaction between the NHS and police forces. I'm very proud of the fact that when I was Home Secretary I actually worked with the Department of Health to bring a change to the way in which police forces were dealing with uh, people in mental health crisis so that we do see uh, those triage pilots out on the streets, we do see better NHS support being given to police forces so the number of people who are having to be taken to a police cell as a place of safety in some areas has has come, overall I think it's more than halved, in some areas it's come down by even more than that. This is a result of the action that this government has taken. Jeremy Corbyn.
3: Mr Speaker, the reality is that nobody with a mental health condition should ever be taken to a police cell. They should be supported in the proper way. And I do commend those police and crime commissioners that have managed to end that practice in their areas. But the reality is, it's not just Devon and Cornwall that are suffering cuts. Norfolk and Suffolk Mental Health Trust has had a cut for every one of its last three years. And I also agree with the Prime Minister that members of this House standing up and openly discussing mental health issues they've had is a very good thing, because we do need to end the stigma surrounding mental health conditions across the whole country. But NHS Trusts are in a financial crisis. According to NHS providers, it seems to be the worst worst financial crisis in NHS history, 80% of acute hospitals now in deficit. There was a time in 2010 when the NHS was in surplus. What's happened?
1: Prime Minister. Remind the right honourable gentleman that what has has happened in relation to funding of the NHS is precisely this. We asked the NHS themselves to come up with their five-year plan we asked the NHS themselves to say what extra funding was needed to deliver on that. They came up with their five-year plan, led by Simon Stevens as chief executive of the NHS. He said it was £8 billion that was needed. We're giving £10 billion of extra funding to the NHS. And, uh, and I might remind the right hon. Gentleman that at the last election, it wasn't the Conservative Party that was refusing to guarantee funding for the NHS, it was the Labour Party. Mr Speaker,
3: in six years, the NHS has gone from surplus to the worst crisis in its history. £3 billion was wasted on a top-down reorganisation that nobody wanted. And yesterday, at the Select Committee, Simon Stevens made it very clear he doesn't believe that NHS England has enough money to get through the crisis it's facing. And so, can I offer an analysis from the Care Quality Commission, which seem to have quite a good grasp of what's going on. They say that cuts to adult social care, and I quote, Translating to increased accident and emergency attendances, emergency emissions and delays to people leaving hospital, which in turn is affecting the ability of a growing number of trusts to meet their performance and financial targets. Will the Prime Minister also address the reckless and counterproductive adult social care cuts that have been made by her predecessor? The, uh,
1: the Right Honourable Gentleman quotes Simon Stevens, the Chief Executive of NHS England. At the time of the autumn statement last November, he said, Our case for the NHS has been heard and actively supported. Now, the Right Honourable Gentleman raises the whole question of social care and the interaction between health and social care. Over £5 billion extra was put into the Better Care Fund precisely to uh, deal with these issues. Local authorities are able to raise that 2% two, two of of, uh, council tax to deal with social care costs that they are facing. But what is important What is important is actually the health service and local authorities working together to ensure they are delivering the best possible service for people who require that social care. I saw a very good example of that at Salford Royal on Monday. Uh, I want to see more examples of that across the National Health Service delivering for patients. We have put the funding in. His party wouldn't have done that. Uh, They will see better care for patients.
3: We all want local government and the NHS to work closely together, but the problem is that local government funding has been cut 400,000 fewer people are receiving publicly funded social care as a result of that. The NHS is having difficulty coping with the crisis they are in. Therefore, there is, unfortunately, bed blocking where acute patients cannot leave because there is no social care available for them somewhere down the line. The issue is the funding crisis in the NHS and in local government. The published figures by the NHS trust show that the total deficit is 2.45 billion, but the chief executive sh- says this figure may even be bigger. The government disguises the extent of the crisis through temporary bailouts and next month the)
1: um uh, you don't
3: well, they are, they are bailing out trusts in a crisis. That, of course, is a good thing. But why are they in a crisis in the first place? Next, 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 month, uh, next month, Mr Speaker, sustainability and transformation plans are going to be published. Many all over the country are quite alarmed by this because of the threat to accident and emergency departments. Can the Prime Minister deal with this issue now by quite simply saying there will be no downgrades and no closures of A&E departments in this statement coming out next month?
1: I say to the right hon. Gentleman, over the course of this Parliament, the Government will be spending over half a trillion pounds on the National Health Service. That is a record level of investment in our National Health Service. But there there is a key difference between the way that he approaches this and the way that I approach it. We believe on this side of the House that, at local level, people should be able to make decisions about the National Health Service, that decisions about the National Health Service should be led by clinicians, that it shouldn't be a top-down approach, which is typical of the Labour Party. Jeremy Corbyn!
3: Wow. Wow, Mr Speaker. Well, top-down is what we got. And it costs three billion pounds for a, re- a reorganisation that nobody wanted at all. Mr. Speaker, I started by asking the Prime Minister about parity of esteem. All this government's produced is parity of failure: failing mental health patients, failing elderly people who need social care, failing the four million on the NHS waiting list. Failing five times as many people, waiting more than four hours at A&E departments. And another winter crisis is looming. The Society of Acute Medicines, I believe, has it right when it says this funding crisis and the local government funding crisis is leaving the
1: NHS on its knees. Prime Minister! What has happened in the NHS over the last six years? more patients being treated, more calls to the Ambulance Service, more operations, more doctors, more nurses. That's what's been happening in the NHS. But let's just look at what his party's approach to the National Health Service is. A former Shadow Health Secretary said it would be irresponsible to put more money into the National Health Service. A former leader of the Labour Party wanted to weaponise the National Health Service. At every election, the Labour Party claims that the Conservatives will cut the NHS spending. After every election, we increase NHS spending. At every election, Labour claim that the Tories will privatise the NHS. At every election, in government, we have protected the NHS. There's only one party that has cut funding for the NHS the Labour Party in Wales.
0: Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that research? shows that infrastructure investment most benefits areas prepared to capitalise on it, with new associated <laughs> possibilities in housing skills and jobs. Will she ensure that current opportunities are taken for inward investment to preserve and re-energise essential national industries like rotorcraft in the Yeovil area as we right. seek to capitalise on dueling of the A303? Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> my. My hon. Friend is absolutely right. Uh, We are right to invest in infrastructure like the uh, A303. This can make a real difference to local communities, but it is important that local communities embrace those opportunities. I know my hon. Friend himself has been putting together ideas for a vision for Yeovil, uh, and I am sure that he will share those with my right hon. Friend, the Community Secretary. Robertson.
0: Join the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Labour Party in remembering the Aberfan disaster Our thoughts with everyone affected by that. Mr Speaker, thousands of innocent civilians have now been killed by Saudi airstrikes in Yemen. Can the Prime Minister give the House an assurance that those civilians have not been killed by Paveway 4 missiles partially manufactured in Scotland under licence from her government to Saudi Arabia?
1: Well, may I first of all congratulate the Right Honourable Gentleman on his election as Deputy Leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party. Uh, uh, can I uh, say to him in response to his question as he knows we have one of the toughest regimes in the world in relation to arms exports. When these allegations uh, uh, arise then we have been pressing, I have pressed in the past and my right honourable friend the Foreign Secretary has pressed the Saudi Arabian government to properly investigate these issues and to learn the lessons from them.
0: Ms yeah, yeah. Robertson. I thank the Prime Minister for her, her kind wishes but back to the, the subject of my question it's beyond doubt The Saudi Air Force is bombing Yemen, flying planes that are made in Britain, Mm -hmm. by pilots that are trained by Britain, and they're dropping missiles that are made in Britain. I asked her a direct question, and she couldn't answer it, so I can try for a second time. Can she give this House an assurance that civilians have not been killed by Paveway 4 bombs being dropped on Yemen? which are partially manufactured in Scotland, under licence by our government, and if she doesn't know the answer to that question, how can she possibly, in good conscience, continue selling them to Saudi Arabia? Prime all,
1: in, in response to the right honourable gentleman, the point I made was a very simple one, which is that we press for proper investigations into what has happened on those incidents before we reach a decision or a conclusion on what has happened in relation to those incidents. We have a very strong... We do have a very strong relationship with Saudi Arabia, that is important for this country. It is important in terms of dealing with counter-terrorism and a number of other issues. But what matters when incidents happen, about which there is concern, is that they are properly investigated. Nigel Adams.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, A few weeks ago, I thought I would successfully bought four tickets online for one of my favourite bands, Green Day, Only, only to be told that the tickets were unavailable and the gig sold out but within minutes I could buy the tickets on another site for twice the price. It turns out the ticket site had been the victim of a computerised attack by organised touts who then resell the tickets at inflated prices. Will the Prime Minister ask her ministers to give close consideration to my amendment to the Digital Economy Act, which would make the computerised harvesting of tickets for resale an offence? Similar legislation exists elsewhere and it would go a long way to protecting consumers and genuine music fans.
1: Thank, uh, I thank my Honourable Friend for raising this issue. I'm sure he's not the only member of this House who's had that experience and certainly not the only person who, uh, you know, as people will know from their constituency, mailbags to have had that experience. I think it is right, as part of the Consumer Rights Act last year, a review of online ticket sales was one of the uh, issues that was introduced. It was Professor Mike Waterson who's produced an independent report on online secondary ticketing. That's produced a number of recommendations, some of them for industry itself, be able to better protect itself from this problem but the government will be looking at the recommendations of that very carefully to see what can be done to address the very issue that he talks about Lisa Nandy regain the trust of survivors. In September the Home Secretary said she had no information about serious leadership failings but on Monday she told the House that she had known about serious problems since July. Yesterday it emerged that senior Home Office officials were briefed as early as April of this year. She set up the inquiry, she appointed the chair she was the individual responsible for the inquiry's success. She was the Home Secretary in April and she was the only person who had the power to act. So, can she now finally tell us when she personally learnt of the serious problems developing in this inquiry and why it was that she took no action at all? Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I say I, I recognise that the honourable lady has taken a particular interest in this issue, and I'm sure she will recognise, as I hope other members of this house do, why it was that I set up the inquiry. For too long, people who had been subjected to child for too long, people who had been object- subjected to child sexual abuse, had their voices their voices went unheard, and they felt they weren't getting justice. That's why it's very important that the inquiry is able to continue and find that justice for them. I I have to say to the Honourable Lady, that one of the important aspects of this is that over the years, too many people have had concerns that people in positions of power have intervened to stop them from getting justice. There were stories around about the inquiry and about individuals related to the inquiry, but the Home Secretary cannot intervene on the basis of suspicion, rumour or hearsay. (laughs) She she refers to the statement that was made yesterday in this House, she refers to the statement that was made yesterday in this House about information being discussed with uh, Director General in the Home Office. She will also have noted that that uh, conversation was asked to be confidential. And it was, as far as I'm aware, treated as such. I think it is important for us to recognise that when the Home Office was officially uh, informed of issues, the Home Office acted. It's now for the inquiry to get on and deliver for victims and survivors. Having been born and and growing up in South Wales and as a former Secretary of State for Wales, can I associate myself with the heartfelt tributes that have been paid by the front bench to the valley community of Aberfan and throughout this House? It was a tragedy that was absolutely unparalleled and stunned the world. So now can the Prime Minister, um, in her own words, now uh, step up to the plate and reconfirm her commitment to Wales and to ensuring that her government works with the Welsh Government particularly after leaving the EU, to maintain the levels of investment that are so vital to the long-term social and economic development of the Valleys' communities and the rest of Wales. Prime Minister. Well, uh, I I say to my right hon. Friend that, as a former Secretary of State for Wales, of course she is well aware of the impact that the Aberfan disaster had on South Wales and uh, those local communities. as I said in my opening remarks, these events were absolutely tragic and the thoughts of all of the House are with all those who were affected by them. But I can uh, give that commitment that she is asking for uh, of this government to uh, to Wales and to working with the Welsh Government. I'm clear that this government is going to deliver a country that works for everyone, that is every part of the United Kingdom and of course the Wales Bill uh, will transfer a historic transfer of powers to the Welsh Assembly. It will allow the Welsh Government to focus on the job of transforming The Welsh economy, and of course, we're talking to the Welsh Government about uh, how we're going to go forward in relation to the negotiations for leaving the EU.
0: Order. Progress today has been very slow. Can I appeal to colleagues to speed up? Stephen Pound.
3: I'm much obliged, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, can there be a single member of this House who does not have reason to be grateful to those heroes of our high street, the community pharmacist? And can there be any member of the public who is not as bemused as I am by the fact that the government is proposing a 12% cuts in the community pharmacy budget, leading potentially to 3,000 closures. Will the Prime Minister today express her support for community pharmacy and have another look at this divisive,
1: corrosive and destructive proposal? Well, I think everybody, everybody in this House, everybody in this House recognises the role and contribution of community pharmacies up and down the country. Uh, but it's also right that we look at how we're spending NHS money. That's why the government is looking very carefully at this whole issue. But I say to the honourable gentleman that if he supports community pharmacies, he ought perhaps to have a word with his uh, right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition, because his policy is to completely nationalise the health system, lock, stock and barrel, GP surgeries, Macmillan nurses and community pharmacies. <laughs> Mr. Richard Fuller! Mr. Speaker, may I welcome the fact that next week this government will make a decision finally on airport
2: capacity in the southeast, something that eluded three of her predecessors and will help boost trade. But does the Prime Minister agree that on this issue, substance matters more than symbolism and wish she outlined
1: to the House? What her timetable of implementation will be. Minister. Well, I, I thank my honourable friend for raising this issue, and he's absolutely right. This month, this government will take a decision on the appropriate site for expanded airport capacity in the South East. Uh, this is a subject that's been debated, discussed, speculated on for 40 years. This government will take a decision. But there is then a formal process that has to be uh, undertaken. So the. The Government will identify its preferred option of site that will then go to a statutory consultation The Government will then consider the results of the statutory consultation and bring forward an airport's national planning statement on which this House will vote. Drew Hindry. Does the Prime Minister agree that any move to
2: close the historic barracks at Fort George would not only be a poor military decision after 250 years of service, but a betrayal of the Black Watch and a slap in
1: the face to the Highlands? I, I say Prime to Minister. the gentleman, I recognise uh, the strength that, of the view that he's put forward. No decisions on Fort George or other locations have been taken, and the Ministry of Defence is going to engage with all parties impacted by any decisions uh, that uh, it's taken of this sort, including in Scotland. Mr
2: Kenneth Clark! <laughs> <laughs> Mr Speaker, my Right Honourable Friend has been expressing some reluctance to submit even the broad plans for future negotiations with the EU to this House uh, because of worries that it might weaken her government's negotiating position. Uh, Has she noticed that this week... Uh, one or more Brexiteer members of her Cabinet have been briefing the newspapers copiously on every proposal being put forward in papers to the relevant Cabinet Committee by their colleagues and launching political attacks on their Cabinet colleagues who seem to disagree with them. Will she take firm action to stop this process, and will she also agree that the proper approach is? parliamentary scrutiny of the broad strategy once her Government have reached agreement on what it should be.
1: Prime Minister. I say to my right hon. Friend the Government is very clear that uh, the vote on the 23rd of June uh, was a vote to ensure that we had control of movement of people from the EU into the UK, but also we want to see the best possible access for businesses for trading in goods and services with and operating within that uh, European market. That is what the Government will be aiming for, and we will be ambitious in that. Parliament will have its say. This is going to be lengthy negotiations over the course of those two years and more. uh, Parliament will have its say in a whole variety of ways, not least of course, in relation to the Great Repeal Bill. Maria Eagle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Some of my constituents who've had their tax credits suddenly stopped by Concentrix have been accused of being in a relationship. With the previous tenants of their homes who they've never even met. And in some cases, they've been accused of being in a relationship with their own members of their own families and told to prove that they're not. This Kafkaesque situation is causing deep distress and hardship amongst working mothers in my constituency. Is this what the Prime Minister means by being on the side of working people? And what's she going to do to put it right? Well, Prime Minister the right honourable lady raises an issue which is of concern to members across this house i making sure that those who are being assessed uh, are being assessed properly and the decisions and the right decisions are being taken the department for work and pensions is looking at that whole process of what should be uh, of what should be done and how those assessments should be taken at, taken uh, undertaken and I say to her that I hope that she would welcome the fact that it is this government that has said for those with long-term conditions that are not going to improve, we will not be putting them through the regular assessments that they had under her Labour Government. Kapow! <laughs> uh, the first nuclear science degree apprenticeship, with apprenticeships from EDF at Hinckley Point and the Ministry of Defence, has just been launched at the Bridgewater and Taunton College. It's at the forefront of the government's apprenticeship reform policy. It combines academic study with practical work experience and it's paid. With Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this is exactly the kind of business-led course we need to forge ahead for the future of this nation? I I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. Can I commend Bridgewater and Taunton College for the steps that they are taking? Working with business, ensuring that the courses are available, and what business needs is exactly what we want to see. And we do want to see uh, a regeneration of our expertise in the nuclear industry. The
4: Prime Minister recently celebrated her 60th birthday, but she will not be retiring. That is her choice. But she is denying that same choice. She is denying that same choice to many of my constituents. Women like Christine of Springburn, who has worked every bit as hard as the Prime Minister, but will have to now work an extra six years. When will she do the right thing? Give the waspy women their transitional arrangements, so that they too can make the choices that she herself enjoys.
1: The the Honourable Lady knows, I am sure, that we have transition arrangements in place, that action was taken by the Government to ensure that the uh, period of time that the pension age change would be no more than 18 months, compared to the previous timetable, and for 81 per cent of women affected by the 2011 change, it will be no more than 12 months.
0: Heidi Allen.
1: Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Um, the results come out today of employment figures are, of course, fantastic news, but I worry about the economic volatility that could come as a consequence of Brexit, potentially inflation rising and the cost of living going up for people on very modest wages. Does the Prime Minister agree we need to keep as many people in employment as possible? We've made the right decision over tax credits. And could I urge her personally to look at those cuts that are still embedded in universal credit and make sure she understands what they will do to people trying to get into work ahead of this autumn statement? Well, my my honourable friend is right to say talk about the importance of getting people into work. I think work has not just a benefit in terms of an income coming into families, and I'm very proud of the record that the Conservative government has over the last six years of getting more and more people into work so there are now hundreds of thousands of fewer households which have no work income coming into the household. That's extremely important, and the point of universal credit is to be able to ensure that the transition from benefits into work is a transition which means that people do have a benefit if they get into the workplace, whereas the previous system, of course, meant meant that for some people they were saying they were better off on benefits. We want to see people in work. That's what the system is there to encourage. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yeah, yeah. I've been asking questions for 15 months now on this Tory government's appalling two-child policy and rape clause. Yeah, the government yeah. still doesn't know how it will work. From one feminist to another, can the Prime Minister tell me how she justifies putting vulnerable roo- women through the trauma of yeah. proving their third child has been born it's as great, a result of rape? rape? Yeah. <laughs> The Honourable Lady, we have been very clear that women who have a third child as a result of rape would not be subject to the limit that is uh, being considered in relation to the benefits. We are considering this. We recognise, I absolutely recognise, that the, the Honourable Lady is making a point about the concern about how this will be dealt with in terms of dealing with individuals who have been through that trauma of rape. That's why the Government is taking its time, is considering this and is consulting on this at the moment, and looking at how we can ensure that we do this in absolutely the right way.
3: Sir Hugo Swire. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given the increasing relevance of the Commonwealth in terms of trade, will the Prime Minister give her personal support to the first-ever meeting of Commonwealth trade ministers here in the UK next year, and will she commit, when she goes to India next month, to persuade Prime Minister Modi to attend Chogham? in the UK in 2018. Prime Minister, well, I am
1: very happy to uh, encourage all leaders to attend uh, Togham uh, when it takes place here in the United Kingdom. And I can assure my right honourable friend that we are indeed looking at the possibilities of trade deals uh, in relation to the Commonwealth. And I too applaud that first ever meeting of Commonwealth trade ministers, which is taking place. It is an important step as we look to forging a new role, global role, in the world, ensuring that we are making a success of leaving the EU, trading our way around the world.
0: read Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Local clinicians are Absolutely clear that the removal of 24 hour consultant led maternity services from the West Cumbrian Hospital in Whitehaven will cost lives. (laughs) And this is a decision which ultimately the government will have to make. Will the Prime Minister please commit today to visiting my constituency to see what the effect of this decision will be upon West Cumbrian families, women, and children? Prime Minister!
1: I say to the honourable gentleman, I recognise this is a point that uh, this is not the first time that he's raised his concerns in relation to West Cumberland Hospital. Can I say to him that, that the point of the way in which we're approaching this is that decisions are taken and generated from the local level. It's at the local area that they will be looking at the services that are necessary for people to ensure that they're able to provide the services that are needed uh, and safe services for people of, uh, of his constituency and other parts of Cumbria.
0: Sir Robert Neal. The tragic murder
3: of one prisoner and the critical wounding of two others in Penderville Prison last night brings home starkly the decline in safety in our prisons. Will the Prime Minister give give the Secretary of State for Justice full support in commissioning an immediate, thorough and complete review of the operational, managerial capacity, leadership and resourcing of the National Offender Management Service, which has significantly failed to arrest this declining situation. Yeah.
1: Well, my Prime Minister. Raises a matter which is one of the very first issues that my right hon. Friend, the Justice Secretary and Lord Chancellor, raised with me, which was about the question of violence in prisons and safety in prisons. That's why my right hon. Friend is looking across the board at the action that needs to be taken and has already announced extra money for more staff in prisons, because she recognises the importance of this particular issue. Lucy Powell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Just one in every thousand pupils is a child on free school meals in a grammar school. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this tiny, tiny number is a very flimsy evidence base on which to create a new national schools policy? And wouldn't she be better looking at the real evidence base of how we reduce inequality in education? Prime Minister... I want to see every child getting the education that's right for them. I want to see every child able to get on as far as their talents will take them and their hard work will take them. That's why why we need to increase the number of good schools in this country. If you look at the the gap in uh, attainment between those who are from disadvantaged backgrounds and those who are not in grammar schools it's virtually zero that is not the same in other schools and I just say to thee I say to the Honourable Lady that I think that it is wrong that we have a system in this country where we have a law that prevents the opening or expansion of good schools that's what we're going to get rid of Pauline Latham uh- work with her Ministers and Secretaries of State to try to champion um, the lack, of, reduce the amount of ivory trade and trade of organs throughout
3: the world. Of endangered species, to try to lead by example from this country. Yes. Well,
1: my honourable friend raises Agreed. an important issue. This is something the government has been taken up, uh, taking up, and I, I can assure her not only has my right honourable friend, the foreign secretary, heard her representations, but he himself has promoted this as an issue that the government will take up.
2: Robert Fellow, I am most grateful. The. The pottery industry is witnessing a modest renaissance, in part through EU exports and EU action on Chinese ceramic dumping. The previous Prime Minister said he would make sure the the ceramic industry's voice is heard and that we would get a good negotiation. What is this Prime Minister doing to ensure that Stoke-on-Trent ceramic manufacturers maintain both tariff-free access to the EU and a level playing field in the face of protectionist dumping?
1: I say to uh, uh, the honourable gentleman that I am very pleased to uh, welcome the renaissance in the ceramics industry that he uh, refers to. Uh, His constituency, of course, a long-standing history and tradition in ceramics. Uh, What what are we doing as we go through the negotiations for leaving the European Union? We'll be ensuring that this country has the best possible access to trade with and operate within that European market. That's what people want, and that's what we want. Oliver Dowden,
2: thank you. Many constituents have contacted me to express concern about anti-Semitism. Now, I'm sure every member of this House can agree that we should show zero tolerance of anti-Semitism. But does the Prime Minister also agree we must ensure that all parties do not allow a situation to arise where it appears that an environment is created where anti-Semitism is tolerated?
0: Prime Minister!
1: Yes, I... I absolutely agree with my honourable friend that this House should send a very clear message that we will not tolerate anti-Semitism. I have been concerned about the rise that we've seen in the number of incidents of anti-Semitism in this country. I think we should very clearly ensure that those uh, incidents of anti-Semitism are properly investigated and dealt with and give that clear message that we will not tolerate it. But that does have to be every single political party in this chamber. And I ask the right honourable gentleman, the Leader of the opposition, given the report of the, uh, Select, the Select Committee of this House about anti-Semitism and the approach to anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, he needs to think very carefully about the environment that has been created in the Labour Party in relation to anti-Semitism.
4: Andy Burnham.
0: We are now just one month from the start of the new inquest into the Birmingham pub bombings. The West Midlands Police have set aside for themselves a legal fund of £1 million, but as of today the bereaved families have no legal funding. Prime Minister, this is a shameful state of affairs. Please intervene and show the Birmingham families the same compassion as was shown to the Hillsborough families.
1: Uh, The Right Honourable Gentleman may be aware that the uh, Birmingham families have been encouraged to apply, and I believe they have applied to the Legal Aid Fund for the exceptional funds. Uh, That was, as I understand it, what happened after the 7-7 bombings that took place. The Home Secretary has made clear her expectation that funding will be provided. We are waiting for the decision from the Legal Aid Fund. We are hopeful that that decision will be a positive one. Theresa Millions. Why attempt to build a new runway at Heathrow when we could deliver one at Gatwick in half the time, for half the cost and a fraction of the environmental impact? Prime Minister. Well, can I assure my right hon. Friend no decision has been taken on the site of airport expansion in the South East. As she will know from her previous background, uh, the Davies Commission said that airport, expansion, uh, airport capacity in the South East should be expanded. The Government accepted that argument. The Davies Commission identified three sites, all of which they said would be credible and deliverable, and Government will take a decision this month.
0: I think it is fitting we finish with a question from Mr Gerald Jones.
1: Thank thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I, first of all, thank the Prime Minister
2: and the Leader of the Opposition and, indeed, other members for their comments about the Aberfan disaster and about the resilience and quiet dignity shown by the people of yeah, yeah. Aberfan. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: On uh, Friday morning at 915 on the anniversary of the disaster, the people in the community along with communities across Wales will mark that disaster with a minute's silence. Could I ask the Prime Minister whether she would support uh, that moment of silence being marked uh, as the disaster affected yeah. communities right across <laughs> the country if not the world, uh, that that uh, moment of, of
1: silence be marked uh, across the UK as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. Well, uh, I say to the honourable gentleman, uh, I know that the Secretary of State for Wales will be attending the particular memorial that will be taking place in his constituency on Friday. I think it is appropriate that we all mark uh, and show our respect for those who lost their lives and the families who suffered as a result of the Aberfan uh, tragedy that took place 50 years ago. It was, as we were saying earlier, a terrible tragedy, not just for individual families, but for a whole community, and I think it's right that we recognise that and mark it. Thank
0: you.